Hello, listeners. I want to give you a little bit more information and context on today's episode of A Little Wiser. Last week, I had a conversation with Anthony Brown, which I hope you've listened to. Anthony lived without a home on the streets for more than two decades. I am deeply curious about homelessness in this country. In L.A., the latest census says that there is close to 70,000 people in our city living without a home. And what I learned in the conversation you're about to hear is 75% of those people are living on the streets. The Department of Housing did a snapshot of one night last January. And in one night, there was over 580,000 people in the U.S. with no place to call home. As I move around my neighborhood and this city, it is heartbreaking to watch people and families living on sidewalks. And I wanted to understand this issue more. Anthony taught me so much, and I was really curious to dive deeper, and I thought you, our listeners, would be as well. So I reached out to a woman named Sharon Browning, who I have incredible respect for. Sharon is wickedly smart. She owns her own business, a consulting firm. And why I'm having this conversation with her is she created a task force on homelessness in the neighborhood I live in, completely put together and run by a group of volunteers, her and a co-president. And that organization of a dozen plus people, all volunteers, many with other full-time jobs and very full lives, was able to find permanent housing for 177 people. The amount of patience, understanding, compromise, risk, resilience, and compassion it must have taken has me in awe. So that is why I decided to go a little deeper and a little longer on this episode and share my conversation and my curiosity and her wisdom about the homelessness crisis in our country. Sharon's vision and leadership created change in my neighborhood. And in creating that change, she has unique, real-world wisdom expertise, and inspiration on this issue. If you were moved by Anthony's story last week, or if homelessness is something that you have had on your mind and heart as well, this episode is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of A Little Wiser. And today I have someone special joining me who I'm excited to introduce you to, Sharon Browning. Hello, Sharon. Hello. Hello. Last week's episode with Anthony was about homelessness and people living without a home. And that is in our neighborhood in Pacific Palisades, where I live and Sharon lives, and certainly in the city of Los Angeles, something that is heartbreakingly present and very real. And that is actually how Sharon and I met, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sharon is the co-president of the Pacific Palisades Task Force on Homelessness, which is an organization working with the homeless community in our neighborhood. So what was your reaction to Anthony's story and the conversation I had with him on on last week's episode? So I I found him compelling and I found the 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 whole interview uh, compelling. I was so impressed. I think I was mentioning to you earlier his his ability to uh, communicate what he was feeling and what he was experiencing. And um, besides being very bright, I, I think he he has the ability to articulate in a way that I have not heard before. And also the questions that you asked him, I think, were questions that are on the minds of so many people. And and he he was able to hear your question. You know how often you will talk to somebody and you ask them a question and they don't answer your question? 
Uh, yes, I'm very familiar with they, that. They it happens will, in my house yeah, daily. They, they yeah. will answer something else. <laughs> uh, and I was struck by how um, he heard your question and he persevered um, to, to give you an answer to it. And, and the questions that, that you asked were on the minds of so many people. Um, you know, basic questions. How, how can we talk about you? What, how do we talk? How do you want to be referred to? I thought was a wonderful uh, discussion that you had with him. Uh, you had several uh, topics that came up with him that I know are in the minds of people and frankly relate to policy, particularly the discussion about when he was in jail and how he perceived that experience as opposed to how others do. And he actually described feeling some comfort because there yes, were, there, there were um, um, boundaries set for him and he knew that he could eat uh, and he would have a warm bed and he knew that he could recover. So when he went to, when he was taken to prison again or, or jail again, he was not expressing the the anxiety that we so often hear others say, you're criminalizing him. And he was saying, well, yes, but I now am going to have a safe place where I can stabilize again. So I found that discussion uh, very interesting. And then his discussion about why he takes drugs, why he was taking drugs. And I, I, I think that that's a, a worthy a worthy discussion for everyone to hear. Uh, when I think when he said, I think if I hadn't taken drugs, I would have killed myself. Mm -hmm. um, and clearly he didn't want to. He wanted to live. And 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 that just just explains a lot and and basic things about going to the bathroom and it was it was just a terrific interview. That moment really stuck out to me about going to the bathroom and you know I was thinking about this as far as suffering in the world and there's so much broken in the world, right? So many things happening. We can think about Ukraine. There's all sorts of other, mm. but in particular, homelessness. I was thinking there's all of these, there's devastating illnesses. <laughs> there's children, there's pediatric cancer, there's wars. This crisis of suffering of humanity is we are like, depending on where you live, but imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast are in cities like LA or Denver or New York, where we are visually witnessing it, living with it, yeah. right? Yeah. We are not in Ukraine. We are not in these pediatric cancer wards. And we're going to talk about the, the growing crisis in this country and for us in this city. But I have seen, and my kids have seen that very thing, of somebody pooping on a sidewalk. It happens. Happens in our neighborhood, yeah. up the street. And it's really hard to watch. It <laughs> it's is. really it is. hard to see. For all of us. For yes. all of us. Mm -hmm. And when he explained it, to take something that on its face, right, is so unsettling on so many levels, for all the reasons, no need to explain why that's a really difficult thing. And to, 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 force you to just view it through a lens of compassion, humanity, intelligence, education, to understand the, the context of who that person is and why it is happening made it, it didn't make it okay, but it, ma it, it made me understand it in a, in a much more compassionate, uh, softer way. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's that's what he did in that interview, and that's what frees us all up. If we understand, we don't have to accept it. Yes. But if we understand it, it changes our reaction to it. Um, it is less judgmental. Yes. Um, and then once we become less judgmental, I think we open up to much more information that leads us to solutions that are better. Well, it's it's not accepting, it's not excusing, but it's affirming. He said, this is the only, I, I already smell. This is the only pair of clothes. I have to go to the bath. I've tried four places. Everyone said, he kind of walks you, and it's not saying, okay, well, you're excused, this is acceptable, but you can acknowledge how difficult it is. And you can acknowledge the complexity and the reality of the human being and the decision they're making and why and how layered it is in shame. And so I, little moments in the interview like that were really helpful to me. And also the 
this idea of he, to some extent, was at his best when he was in prison because he had a sleep-wake cycle and he was off drugs, that this whole idea of, you know, why, why can't everyone just, you know, go to the shelter and get help? And certainly from this podcast, understanding what it takes for us as humans to transform, you have to be in a grounded place and position and willing to transform, which is monumental. People without serious mental illness or addiction issues have a really hard time changing. So that made so much sense to me. It was really illuminating. Yes. Again, it allows me, it allows you to give a little more compassion when you say, oh, well, I'm expecting you to just all of a sudden say, oh, yes, I'm willing to address my mental health and my addiction and let's start at 3 p.m. today. Well, and then when even he he talked about he finally found that place in Costa Mesa yeah, uh, that was the right place for him. And I think he said, you know, all we really need is time and TLC. Yeah. Uh, And I thought, oh, geez, time and TLC, don't we all need that? Yeah. There was so much about us that, that, that was the same. But he fell away. And then the woman that was working with him said, if you leave, she was already giving him permission to do that. I thought, how, how gracious of her. Please don't go over the back fence. Please walk out the front door. So saying to him, I want a straight out authentic relationship with you. But he was had a trans transformational experience too, yeah. spiritual. So, you know. And one of the things, because I now I kind of want to dive into homelessness, the, the issue at large, but I think you do a wonderful job of this is a issue that can be divisive. It can be polarizing. People tend to sort of say, not in my backyard, or have a lot of compassion or frustration or anger. And you really handle it in a way where you allow the space for all of that to be okay. I have found that. Yes. That you are not this, you are not a hard line in either direction. You really meet people where they are, which is I think that that is where change happens. That, that that is the definition I believe of change makers and change agents. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. So this crisis right now, and I was just in Denver. I've been in a couple of other cities. It we it it appears to be really really bad. Why is it getting worse? Why I mean, yeah. how are we where we are? Well, because of decades of not facing the issue is why we're here today, because of the economy, because of, of, of alcohol, drugs, addiction, for a myriad of reasons. We have people, as Anthony described, who are, have tr- who are having trouble living. They have problems and they don't know how to solve their problems, so they're falling into homelessness. So we've got to look at it from a, a multi-pronged approach of, of you know income, jobs, affordable housing, mental health care. It's such an enormous and fragmented issue. It's it's difficult, and and I think part of our issue is is our policymakers. Yeah, uh, people come in with one answer, and they want their answer. And until we can we can start finding leaders and strategies that begin to help us look at a, at a higher level, have a vision, a common vision of where we want to go, and then try to build policy to move us towards that, it's it's going to be difficult. Um, and I think it's this fragmented thinking. I will go back to the reason I think we have been as successful as we have been in the Palisades is we started out saying everybody's interests count. So let's hear from you what your interests are. And then let's see if we can't start to uh, design a, an approach to it here um, that we can address what your primary concerns are. So we designed a project that our volunteers clean up the, the encampments on the street. If there's remnants, we clean them up because we know that's unsettling for the residents. Plus, we know if we don't clean it up, it will attract more homeless people because it says it's okay uh, to camp on the streets here. Mm-hmm. So we do a, a lot of the cleanup work that the city doesn't do, that other residents don't want to do. And at the same time, we 
are raising funds to bring out professional workers here, outreach workers who can provide the services, the health care, get people voucher ready, meaning they have all their documents together so that they can get a voucher um, that is provides them supplemental income to get into housing, and that they literally take them by the hand and take them into housing. Gives what is a voucher? A, a voucher is is like a little a check that um, a, a homeless individual will get that is supplemental funding. Let's say if I'm a homeless person and I get two hundred and fifty dollars a month for Social Security, you know, and I I have that. That's not enough to get an apartment here, but I might get a voucher that will guarantee me um, nineteen hundred dollars a month. Um, for an apartment, an improved apartment someplace. Yeah. Uh, then I can put that together with my Social Security, and I can go in and get an apartment. And what comes along with that voucher is supportive services. So I'll have a social worker checking in on me uh, to help me stabilize and get adjusted to my apartment, it will help me get to medical care if I need it, and, and will help me exist successfully in, in that apartment. But now funding is sporadic for those vouchers. Not all apartment owners will take those vouchers. So we're having to build systems where there are years of apartments that just do nothing but provide for these kinds of individuals. So it's complicated. Again, we talked about so many people talk about this issue because they're living with amongst people living without a home. And there's a wide range of feelings. But it's so complex to even understand how we got here and certainly to understand the pathway forward. Is there a way to sort of concisely articulate mm. why this is happening? That That's really tough on this. It, it, it's, it's not enough services to help people. So if you have a bell curve yeah. in any... In, in it, whether it's a group that you belong to, it's a class that your kids are in, it's it's society. There will always be on that bell curve people who are are really successful, and then there's a lot of people in the middle, okay, um, who are just they're making it okay. You yeah, know, they have what they need. There will always be people on um, on the other end of that spectrum that are having, as Anthony said, trouble. They, you know, they just can't, they can't make it. And their reasons are so myriad. So we're never going to be rid of this problem. What we want to be able to do is to have systems in place. I'm going high on you and I'll come back down okay, in a sure. minute here. We want to have systems in place that for, for these people who will always be here and people will fall into this and they will come out of it on the, on the bell curve. They will come in and out of it, depending on what kind of systems we have. So I, I guess, I think what you're asking me is, what do we fundamentally need? We need health care. We need mental health. We need beds. They're warm and safe. And we need food, mm -hmm. if that's what you're asking me to simplify. And, and that's what our system, if we could say, we're going to have those four things for everybody that's um, on this end of the spectrum, uh, we, we will, that will be our safety net. And we, we don't have that. So if we started looking at that, I, I think that is at, what we need to do. At the root of it, is it a mental health crisis? Is it an addiction crisis? What percentage of the population living without a home? So that is a common question. And the answer is, is a third, a third, and a third. So the mental health and addiction um, is now put in one category. Okay. Um, because if you have an addiction... Uh, You're normally self-medicating a mental health. It, it yeah. is a mental health. It, it, if you take alcohol or a drug, it changes your brain. And when you change your brain, it becomes a mental health issue. Interesting. So they are, they are now categorized together, and they need to be looked at together instead of separate. Okay, that's helpful. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So so that is about a, a third of it. The other third is people who, who just um, are, they just need help. They just, you know, need need a leg up. And, and those, are, it's really two categories. And, and more and more, 
we have to look at it that way. And I think Anthony said the same thing. He said, even within a category, we're an individual. Yeah. You know, so even with our, our category, uh, we may have we may have attributes in common, but if you're going to put to a, 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 together a service, we'll have those in common. But I'm still different than anybody else. I'm still an individual. I'm still a person. And yes. because he was able to have his spiritual experience, yeah. and, and now he's committed to anything he starts, he he will finish. Yeah. What a great thing if we all did that. Yes. Um, because he's going to Lord do, knows if I did that. <laughs> he's going to do whatever he has to do now to yeah. finish, whether he has to go to school, whatever, if he started. That's my best answer that I can give. To okay. That. So I'm glad you said that because as a tendency, we want to gr- group because it makes it easier to, to yes. think it's so hard to ha- to wrap yes. your head around tens, yes. if not hundreds of that and all of those different dynamics because then how do you approach the solution yes when it's the that myriad wow do you know do they have a number in this country of how many people are currently living without a home do you do you know uh they do have a number and i can't bring it up i can tell you that los angeles and new york have the highest numbers of of homeless individuals and in new york 75% of their homeless individuals are indoors. They have been able to get apartment buildings and whatever. In Los Angeles, 75% of our homeless individuals are on the street. So we have a much more of a visible um, issue here that we're dealing with uh, than they are in in New York. New York has that problem, but it is more now an issue of money and not so much public response. As in LA, it is the public response because we have 75% of our our 66,000 homeless individuals in Los Angeles on the street. So it's it's visible and yeah. it's concerning. Yeah. And and people are heartbroken and some people are pissed. I mean, some people, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or a combination of both. Both, yeah. I think both. Both, mm-hmm. yeah. What is the greatest misunderstanding? about what is the greatest misunderstanding about a person experiencing homelessness i think the greatest i don't know if it's a misunderstanding the greatest thing is that homeless individuals are judged and if we could just get away from judging them and and move towards understanding them it's so funny here, here in the in the Palisades, I you know I might be with a homeowner who's just livid, just you know, and they're just going on, they're just saying the worst stuff and terrible things about this individual and and disgusting things, and then um, you know we just kind of say, well, all right, the law won't let us do this, and we have to do this, so um, so let's let's just see if we can't work with this a, a little bit, and let's come in and you you talk with us, we're going to meet together. And I cannot tell you, Kimmy, how many times once the person, the homeless individual becomes real to this resident who's so angry, before you know it, this resident is saying, well, you know, all we'd have to do is really find you this place. And and once that, that person becomes human to you and you realize how much you have in common with that person, your problem solving changes. You know, so I think judgment, we, we judge because we don't understand, because we're frightened by it, we're offended by it, and all of this. So that, that, that clouds us. And, and then you're asking me now, what's the number one problem? Can you say more about that again? Well, no, I, that was a great answer. I, was, I, often, I, I often find with issues that are divisive, you know, confusing, that it's that it's often rooted in misunderstanding. So I'm thinking about somebody living yeah. without a home and people are making assumptions, right? Or so yes, I, I think bad. I was they didn't they made bad choices. They're not a good person. They're beyond redemption. Yes. yes. All of all of the above. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out if we can dismantle some things that aren't true, right? That people may assume misunderstandings. So I think that's where I was going with my question. Yes, yeah. I think you covered a number of those with, with Anthony. So I think it is because it's 
it's frightening to us. It's threatening to us. Yeah. Uh, it's threatening to what we all know and want and have worked for, and we don't know what to do about it. So we immediately push it back and judge it as right or wrong, good or bad, because that is easier for us to think that way. And then we can come up with a solution. Well, we just have to get them off the street. That's all we have to do. We don't have any more responsibility. What? Well, yeah. Anthony, and he was almost poetic. And it was fascinating to me when I was saying, you know, I asked him some questions that came from my kids at the dinner table mm -hmm. about how, and he was talking about otherness. But then he almost said back to me that the homeless community is also mirroring this other experience as us, these people walking around with their you know, $5 coffee drinks and their jobs and their the, their community, right, has language and rhythm and connection and is experiencing us just as we're experiencing them, which not sure why I hadn't thought that through, but that was really interesting for me. And then just how he simply said, people don't want to go in dark places, right? Right. And that that is almost, that is where they are safe is in the dark, Yes. Alley. Because they can't be seen. Because right. they can't be seen. Yeah. And people are afraid of dark places yes. and dark corners. Yes. Um, so what you just said to me, this whole thing of other, them, this community experiencing another subset, of, they are other, we are other, and you saying this homeowner who's really mad and pissed and angry and all of a sudden the realization that, oh, well, we're just two people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and and they flip into, I could actually help you. Have you thought about doing this? You know, so it totally changes the discussion once the person becomes human to you. And even if it's an unpleasant, you're just feeling this really queasy because you've not had this experience before. Just um, knowing that it is another human being and you can have this safe conversation and you may be very different. I think where you're taking me in this discussion now is we've got to identify those areas, residents. We have to dis identify those areas where we are willing to risk. And, and what would those be to come up with larger scale solutions, um, more longer term um, solutions that, that we would be willing to have policymakers invest in this? Care court has come up. And and I think Governor Newsom, take whether you're Democrat, you know, Republican or what, whatever, out of that, um, he, he is now saying there are people on the street who are not able to make judgments about whether or not they need help or not. And we know now that, that that's a well-defined psychological issue, that I can be sick and I don't know that I'm sick. Yeah. So how can I then make a decision about health care for myself, for yeah. my mental health? Mm -hmm. But I'm on the street. I'm possibly hurting myself. I'm possibly hurting other people the more I deteriorate. And yet we are not willing to risk, meaning we have organizations that just say, I, I can't take away that person's freedom. You know, uh, that's not the right thing to do. Well, I'd like us to be willing to talk about that. Yeah. Yet we have groups that are so invested in that position. So California Care Court is coming down. It was almost unanimously approved at, at the state level, at the county levels. And now we have lawsuits that are, are preventing right now that going forward. So all of that based on that we're taking away somebody's freedom. We haven't tried it yet. And so we just, it's, we just need to be willing to risk. Stop judging and be willing to risk and saying, what am I, what am I willing to, to take in my community? And where am I willing um, to maybe try something new? And, and maybe we fail, but we're going to try something new. Obviously, there isn't a, a, a clear answer, but I want to talk about what works or what we have seen work and what is possible. Anthony is certainly an example of somebody who was able to to transform his life. Uh, but if we want to focus on proven strategies that are effective, creating positive change in people's lives, what works? Getting people into permanent supportive housing. That 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 is a proven best practice. That means you, you get a person off of the street, you get them into um, a housing situation that they can tolerate. 
You give them the supportive services they need uh, and the financial support they need. And that is the, the best path forward. And, and that works. And that's what Mayor Bass is, is attempting to do now. And Mayor Bass is the new mayor in Los Angeles. Yeah. So our, 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 our massive uh, street encampments that we have, we, we are now, she is moving them off in communities. She's not breaking up the community. So uh, this is our local mayor here in Los Angeles. Okay, explain what she's doing. I didn't know this. Yes. So now she's, she's coming in and, and aggressively because a lot of state and federal money is coming in for these housing vouchers that we talked about before. Yeah. And she is now buying all of the major, major hot spots around Los Angeles of large encampments. And she is treating the whole encampment as a community. So they are a community in, in themselves, as Anthony told us. So in, uh, instead of breaking them up and just scattering them all over, she's, she's working as much as she can to find those individuals in that encampment that are willing to move off of the street, give them a housing voucher so that they can move into a temporary housing, whether that's a motel or a hotel, and they stay in that temporary housing until permanent supportive housing can be found for them. So she is clearing those encampments, trying to keep the people who want to stay together. Because that's those are their relationships. Those, those are their community. And that's their community. And probably some of the relationships are toxic and unhealthy, just like Everybody, sometimes, <laughs> but to abandon everyone you know is yet another, I would imagine, barrier. Yes. Right? People, yes. yes. So if they can risk to move in and they've got three friends that are there, that they're kind of family to each other, mm-hmm. um, if they can go in together and, and move in, they, they are more inclined to do that. And, and if they have supportive services, they can make that transition. So, so that is, I, I think, a best practice that 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 is working and has to has to be done. Yeah. One of our listeners asked specifically about tiny housing and yes. I have also been reading about and picking up on shipping containers, tiny housing. Can you talk to me about this solution yes. and illuminate this for yes. a little bit for me and for our so listeners? That's um the tiny houses are just like literally a, a little room and it has a bed and um um, a bathroom and maybe a, a small kitchenette or whatever, and you can put, um, depending on the, the piece of property you can find, um, uh, you know, maybe 20 of those houses there, or you can put 200 of them there, and those can be built affordably, quickly. They can be staffed with supportive ho- um, services, you know, social workers and clinicians there so that a person could move off of the street into one of those houses. So that's one form of, of housing that can be created. I think what we're learning right now, even those require, they're, they're more affordable, but they're expensive to build. What what we are looking at now is master leasing, mm-hmm. which appears to be quicker, um, more affordable. So this is where um, an agency may come in and and um, uh, lease uh, apartment buildings. Uh, you know, maybe you, you come in and you it's a very large development, and there might be three hundred apartments or whatever. They will go in and master lease that for twenty five years or whatever, and then turn that into housing um, for people as opposed to building it yep. new mm-hmm. and finding finding the locations of where you're going to build new housing. So you can go into a community and master lease. Um, I think communities can can assimilate, and that's the goal here of, of many of the policymakers, that, that our, our homeless individuals will have a greater chance for success if they could be a part of the Pacific Palisades. Yes. Um, and I know this community well enough, the Palisades community, if, if we had a reasonable number, we couldn't handle 500 or 5,000 because we're too... We're too small of a community. Yeah. It, we couldn't handle helping these people assimilate. Yeah. But we could, I believe, um, uh, assimilate, you know, 20 at first and maybe move to 40. I think we could assimilate. Them. So this is a big part of the solution is yeah. the pe- is people in their communities willing to, as you said, take a risk, risk, a brave leap of faith that 
there is this bell curve. There are always going to be people who are going to be suffering and struggling for different reasons. And we are willing to have you as a part of our community. Yes. And find ways to live together and coexist and support one another. Yes. Without lowering our standards. Yes. You know, without saying, you know, we've got to put up with, you know, filth and and behavior that is difficult for us and all of that. Um, it doesn't. We don't have to accept that, but it will be a, a process where we've got to slowly work with with our homeless people and and give them time. Okay. And so the so there's the housing. There's the change within the community and the residents and their willingness to to put down judgment. Yep. Take risks. Accept. Have faith. Yeah. Um, uh, calculated risk. Calculated they risk. They don't have to be, you know, calculated risk is a good risk. Yeah. You look at the upside, you look at the downside, and y'all y'all talk together. What are we willing to accept? And and that's a calculated risk. And and you can have an exit strategy and and just open that door. Yeah. Okay. So not saying you are other, you are suffering, you are struggling, you are having and I have chosen to live in this community that feels safe and feels clean, and yeah, you are a risk to the the, yeah. the lifestyle I expect and have chosen, and therefore we need to be separate. Yep. Yes. Uh, you know, you know the names of some of our homeless people. In yes, the I sure do. Here. Well, yeah. And and we have some. We have one woman. I'm not going to uh, use her name, but but everyone in the community knows her. And she made a decision that she she had been by our library. Yes. And and she left the library because after COVID, we were reopening the... I did notice she's gone. Yes. And she chose to leave yeah. um, on her own. Okay. And um, that has really distressed a number of people in our community because now they don't know where she is and they were taking care of her. And she became a person that was real uh, to them. And oh, all the kids, my kids in particular, but well, they're both women. Um, but they absolutely know by name. Yes. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of somebody yeah. who, and not always pleasant and not always Yeah, she, she can be cranky. Yeah. And, so can some of my neighbors. Uh, yeah. Yes. And, but, but that's a perfect example of how she was not a threat to us. Um, uncomfortable, yes, and irritant and, and all of that. But the community embraced her as their own. Yeah. Now that she, she chose to leave, mm-hmm. um, um, th- there's people this are worried angst and, yeah. and all of these feelings of regret and and what's yeah, happened to her well we do we know where she is and our social workers are visiting her regularly and and she is happier now and with more population coming back into the library she was feeling more rejection again more insecurity more with so her. for those of you who don't live in our neighborhood which will be the vast majority this was a woman who lived in our neighborhood how long do you think she lived in this neighborhood oh my gosh she's been here pushing 10 years yeah Yeah. and she always sat um or not always but most always was would sit on the same bench in front of the library in our town and everybody knew her by name and it was funny because i we all i think this is pretty common you have a tendency to bring people sweets or treats right like cookies and Mm -hmm. and so often we would be i don't know leaving a bakery or a birthday party or something and the kids would always say oh we should go bring her cookies i mean i i want to say it was like the 20th time she's like i am diabetic i should not have sugar yes. <laughs> the kids would say but then by like year two when we would get something we would say oh we should bring it no 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 she's diabetic we need to get her something else but like you would your neighbor or your friend and right. i think that is what you're talking about how do we coexist support and know each other see one another know each other not not that that is going to transform her life, but that is being in community. Yes. Yeah. Assimilating. Yeah. You know, assim- which is what America's about. You know, it's just we're assimilating something else. But but it has to be, you know, thoughtful and all of that. But that's a risk. When you open up to 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 get to know her, uh, you're you're opening up. You're not judging. You're opening up and you're risking a little bit, you know, and, and that's what we do slowly with one another. So Okay, so so we've talked about the community aspects. Permanent housing works. 
Permanent supportive. Mm -hmm. Explain supportive housing. What does that take? What does that look like? Okay. It's permanent supportive together. Yeah. And that means you're you're in your house permanently. You've got your voucher. You've got all your finances so that you can pay your rent and you can stay there. Then there are um, a range of a team of clinicians and social workers that that are assigned to you, and doctors, so that they can provide. If if I'm having some mental health issues and I need to be on some sort of a drug, I will have a nurse that comes and and brings me whatever prescription I need. I If I'm eventually then ready to start to try to get some training to go to work, I will have a social worker that will be there with me to help me navigate. Where, where can I go for my training? And make sure that I either have a bus token or I can get there. So I'll have a team of professionals uh, working with me as my supporters to help me. And that's where the policy and the government funding. And it, we started off talking about um, the Pacific Palisades Task Force on Homelessness. And when we were talking about, you know, when I was asking for a very, and when I was unfairly asking for a very simple <laughs> answer about how we get here, mental health, addiction, some of these underlying issues, I I think it's so important to go back to what you said, which is each individual, which is true of every human being on the planet, is so specific, dynamic, unique in their needs and their support. And what I understand the trained social workers you have are going out and really truly knowing at these people, and and I think you've said sometimes it may take sixty encounters before, yes. but understanding what are your mental health needs, are there addiction needs, is there trauma, are there relationships I need to understand. So that is why the the work is so great and so needed is because it's that specific. It's one human being at a time. Yes. And that's why it's so intense. It is one human being at a time. And one human being may make rapid progress and another one may may just, it may just take a, a lot, a lot of time. I think another um, best practice that, that may have some real potential, there are certainly a lot of advocates for it, is, is peer support. So it's an Anthony uh, who has found his way and is strong and now he is a peer support yes. uh, to one. He becomes the social worker for some of these people um, in their homes, helping them. And he would be paid. And there's some benefit to that. So, so if we look at if we have, you know, um, you know, a thousand um, individuals who've been traumatized and and somehow they've been able to find housing and they're supportive and they start getting training and and they are able to work, then they can can yeah. come back and 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 help other individuals. So they'll start out with a, a a higher understanding of what's needed. They'll be able to speak the same language. They'll be less judgmental. They'll have a higher tolerance. So I think um, using uh, peer uh, social workers and so forth, and then obviously as they get training, uh, they should be getting the same pay scale as anybody else. You know, so I, I think there's great potential in that too. When we ask people about questions, this one came up a lot, which doesn't surprise me. It's, it comes up a lot in in family. What is the best way or the thing or some options of what we can or sh should do when someone who is living on the streets asks you for money? Okay, you're going to hate me again. <laughs> but it, depending on who you ask this question, you will you'll hear a variety of answers. My view is when someone asks for money, I think that it is always better to to ask them what is it that they do they need? Do they need food? Do they need medical care? What is it they need the, the money for? The more we can get these individuals connected to an agency or someone who will help them, um, that is better than giving them just money. Uh -huh. uh, yes, they do need money. They're like 
like us. Yeah. You know, they want to be able to go in and buy a candy bar or they want to be able to do something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a question of then do they develop the ability just to get money on the street to use it for whatever? Some may use it for a candy bar. Some may use it for alcohol. Some may use it for, for drugs. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what's difficult. So I, I lean towards um, always having getting somebody some food if they need it, giving them some water. Um, I carry little referral cards of, of where they can call uh -huh. uh, to get help if they need it. And I think the most important thing is that if it's safe, if it's safe to, to talk to the person and treat them with respect um, and, and, and caring. And, and you may find that there is somebody who's just really trying to manipulate you because they've just become very adept. That's how they survive on the street, you know, and, and that's, that's just, just part of it. Um, I'm, I'm um, just to give somebody money um, <clears throat> without getting to know them and caring more about them. I have conflict about that. But you, you will talk to other people who feel very strongly that that's a fine thing to do and that that person needs the extra money and that's going to help them out for that day. It's going to make that day better for them. And, and that's, that's what that another person wants to do. So it's a, it's a very personal thing. Is there, if people are interested in taking a small action to get involved, to do more, is there somewhere you would recommend they go to? And it could be as simple as reading an article, watching a documentary, following a newsletter. I mean, is there, for, for people, if we're going to create change, it has to be collective. So is there any call to action you have for people who want to become, you know, a, it, a, a part of the solution, uh, however for, big or small? So, um, yes, I think you have to be educated. Um, and you really can't help unless you you become educated. So I do think that if there is a a local um, um, a comprehensive service agency in your community, um, you go to the website, you sign up for the newsletter, um, you make a commitment that if you're going to donate, this is money intensive helping here, um, that that you will give you know something, some donation to that organization that is that is helping. Um, I think if you see a homeless person on the street and you don't think that they're threatening to you, smile at them. You know, just look them in the eye and, and smi smile at them. Treat them as you would anybody else. Just doing that, that doesn't mean you have to engage. Um, you need to realize that not everybody is the same that you meet on the street. I think you can do that. I think you can donate. And I think educating yourself, connecting with an agency, reading the homeless articles in the newspaper, even though it's upsetting, um, and, and, and trying to make sure that there is some agency in your community that is there to help, to lead. So the tagline for this podcast is... Really, it's about hope and possibility on the other side of pain. Mm -hmm. We The stories we tell are about pain and suffering and about hope and possibility mm -hmm. through that on the other end of that. Are you, are you hopeful? I am. I have to be. I have to be. Because if you give up hope, it, it changes who we are as human beings. And... They, the poor will always be with us. We hate that part. Um, the poor in, in money, the poor in health. And so we always have to see that there is a role for us on that continuum. Uh, and so I am hopeful. Uh, I, I don't know how many thousands of homeless people we have engaged, and, and we've been able to house 177 of them. Um, but this those, is locally your your task is locally. force. Yeah, our task force. Um, but but to get to that hundred and seventy seven, we've we've probably engaged over a thousand individuals. Ask them if we can help them. So I I think that those I have hope every day for an Anthony. So so 
yes, I have hope for the individuals. And I think that's all that we can do um, at this point. I, that 177 people, if you think the ripple effect of the people who love and care for them, their spouses, parents, friends, that that gives me hope, real hope. <laughs> so thank you for, mm. you give me hope that, that smart, engaged, compassionate, action-oriented people like yourself are doing this work. So thank you, Sharon, for everything you're doing in our neighborhood and in our city. And mm -hmm. thank you for taking the time to, I think, educate our audience today and hopefully illuminate, inspire some new thinking around what it means to be homeless and, and the path forward. Thank you. And thank you for for this podcast and and making this kind of thinking possible and available to people. Yes. All right. Enjoy the rainy day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.